Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to uh, be here on a Saturday night and actually speak. And uh, it's great uh, to actually be here with you. As I look around this room, um, I see familiar faces. It's always comforting to see people you know. And uh, also see some new faces, which is fantastic as well. And uh, I'm sure in my mind's eye, as I uh, think about the uh, Allison campus and Brentwood campus watching this on video, my imagination anyway is the same. Familiar faces, new faces, exciting things that God's doing in our midst. I want to uh, talk a little bit about something which happened in February, which really... Uh, lit me up. I, I absolutely was excited about this because February generally for me is a bit of a down month. I don't know about you, but I'm at, at, in the middle of February, I'm kind of pining for summer and, and I'm tired of, uh, of the driveway being filled with snow and uh, the cold chill. Of, oh, anyway, and I thought we were getting there uh, until this week, but uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll leave that one alone. But back in February, many of you probably remember the, uh, the Winter Olympics. And that was kind of a bright spot for me in the middle of winter to actually see all these people, watch them. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in my armchair, right, you know, watching these athlete, uh, athletes do their thing. But uh, it, it reminded me as I was watching it of just uh, how amazingly trained uh, the human being uh, dedicated to a task can become. Now, granted, the sports that I like to watch are sometimes a little different than other people, maybe. Um, so, but this year, uh, CBC had webcasting and everything, so I could just hook my computer up and watch everything on my TV. Didn't matter if, if it was popular or not. I could just watch it. It was great. Like biathlon. I love the biathlon. Now, I mean, cross-country skiing and shooting guns. I don't know. There's something about that. Okay? Sorry. It just makes me smile inside and out. Uh, but I, when I see these athletes, I mean, I just, it amazes me that they can be going so hard. And you can just see their chest just heaving with the, every breath. And then they get down there, and then in between the breaths, they're firing off bullets at these targets. I mean, it's amazing. If that were me, the gun would be like this, right? Well, actually, I would be uh, in cardiac arrest <laughs> two miles back. But anyway, uh, the, the point is it's an amazing uh, image of, of, of that human control, that control over your own body. It's amazing. And, of course, other things that I, I, I like to watch, I actually watch curling. I, um, I, I watched the, the Scots Tournament of Hearts about five years ago. And honestly, I just watched a bunch of people throwing stones down the ice. I had no idea what it was all about, but I actually thought it was intriguing. And so I watched curling again um, this year on the Olympics. I watched the women's games because they had this streak going on, which I thought was kind of fantastic. And uh, so I watched it. And I mean, for the first half of the Olympics, I was just watching there, and I had absolutely no idea what they were doing. Apparently, it was chess on ice. But I play chess, and I honestly, I didn't see the connection. I don't, I, where's the king? Where, you know, where's the, I don't know. Anyway, but they did a great job. So I went on YouTube, because YouTube can teach you anything, apparently. And it said, one minute, I could learn all about curling. So I watched a one-minute video on curling, and I now kind of consider myself the resident expert in <laughs> curling. You basically throw these rocks down the ice, and... 
yell at the people who were running after them. And apparently you just have to get a couple in there at the end. I don't know. Anyway, but it was great to watch them. They were very excited about it. And I was excited about them getting gold. So it was fantastic. But of course, the crowning jewel of the Winter Olympics is what? Hockey. Hockey that's right. And that was amazing. Anyone watch the women's game? Okay, good. I got some hockey people. Because wasn't that a fantastic game? That was an amazing game. And to me, uh, the passage I want to look at tonight from Corinthians, it kind of, I, I want to draw out this idea, and it's perfectly illustrated in that women's gold medal game against the U.S. I mean, they were losing the game, right? I mean, there were people who actually got up and left, who turned off their TVs or actually left the stadium because they'd lost the game. They were, you know, a couple of goals behind. They were right into the third period. There was, well, it was beyond hope. But right in the last couple of minutes, it was just, boom, a, a puck in the net. And then in the last few seconds of the game, a tying goal. And when you watch those women play that game, they were just, they were there to win. They, were, they didn't give up. They were on the ice, and they were ripping that ice apart because they wanted to get that puck in the net. And then, of course, they won gold in overtime. It was an amazing thing to see, to come from that far behind, that late in the game, and to turn it around. It was amazing. And again, I want to look at a passage in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which talks about running a race. But I want to draw on this idea of having that fire within, that desire within, to actually win. Because you see, I watched another hockey game on the Olympics. Maybe you watched this one too. The bronze medal men's game, U.S. against Finland. Anyone see that? Maybe you, get, you gave up on hockey by that time. That was the saddest game I'd ever seen in my life because you had these, basically you had this U.S. team just filled with talent, but basically somewhere along the line they said it's not worth playing for a bronze medal. If you're not going to win gold, it's time to go home, right? You, win, you play for the cup, and if you're not going to win the cup, I mean, who plays for third place, right? I mean, that's the Olympic mindset is not necessarily there in the NHL, you know, where you're going for one thing. But then I found out that there were just as many NHL players on the Finnish team, and uh, they were there to win, and they did, 5 nothing. But you could see it in the American faces. You could see it in their players. They just... They, they just didn't think that it was going to be worth the risk of injury or that a bronze medal was worth bringing home. It's like they had given up and had no desire to win right from the very beginning. Uh, but the Finns did. They were hungry for it, and they got it. Now, there's something about that within us, within our hearts. When we want to win, when we're hungry for something... We go that extra effort. We, we, we go that extra mile. We, we push ourselves a bit harder. We, we don't give up, even when things are looking bad, when we want it. But the trouble is, is that often in our lives, and particularly in our following Jesus, in our walk with Christ, we, we sometimes get lured into a uh, just coasting we maybe suffer, get some setbacks in life in our own progress maybe, and we just say, well, I guess this is it, and just start coasting. Or all kinds of things can happen, and we lose that fire within to really run to win. 
Let's look at this passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And let's just think about Paul writing to his audience 2,000 years ago and just how there is that connection with us as a sport-loving culture here in North America even now. So Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. What an incredible passage and, and incur, or challenge, rather, to the Corinthian church. Every uh, two years in Corinth, they had what was called the Isthmian Games, and it was a huge um, athletic contest. The winner of these games, they would, be, they would get lots of money. They would get cash awards that were quite significant. They would, uh, they would become tax-free. Now, can you imagine if uh, you got a letter in the mail today that said the rest of your earnings for the rest of your life would be tax-free? You wouldn't have to pay any income tax, no sales tax, no tax, because you were an athletic hero. You won the games. Yeah, I can't even imagine it either. But that's pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing reward. You know, when you sort of think about your earnings over a lifetime and uh, what that would add up to. And then, of course, there's fame. You would be heralded as a, a, a true victor in these games. You would be, you know, the Mike Jordan of the ancient world. Who's Mike Jordan, people say? Uh, whoever the latest star is uh, in sport, you know, you'd be that person. And everybody would want to meet you. Everyone would be inviting you to their city, all expenses paid type of thing. And that was obviously a big thing as well to, to, uh, to an ancient person to be famous. You know, I don't think that has much appeal in the modern world, right? But think about it. Money, tax-free status, fame, gifts, popularity, all of this was the reward of winning that perishable wreath, that crown that Paul talks about. And yet Paul says in this letter that um, the race that we're running is more significant. Somehow I think if someone said to you, listen, just exercise, eat right, do your best, work hard, and you can win tax-free status, tons of cash, and uh, fame for the rest of your life, that might be motivating. That might be motivating for some people to actually go out there and take something that they're good at and just become a master of that. And yet Paul says the race that we are running is following Jesus, striving against sin in our lives is more significant. It's greater. And the first thing we need to draw from this passage, I think, is this single point. We need to act like it matters. We need to treat this life like it matters. 
So many times I meet discouraged people who are just going through one day to the next. They don't have a plan. They don't have a goal. They sort of see chaos coming behind them and going along beside of them, and and they don't really have a plan of what they want to do with their own lives and where they want to be. They don't have a spiritual plan for what they want to do and how they want to be. They don't look at their lives and say, I have these flaws, and I want Christ to grow in my life in these areas so that five years from now, I won't have the same struggles. I may struggle in other areas. I may even struggle with that, but it won't be the same. God will have a level of victory in my life, and I need to put things into my life. I need to exercise in such a way that it will make a difference and that I will grow because it matters. We need to have that fire within that this life matters. Now, I want to make perfectly clear here that when Paul writes this, he's not talking about running a race where um, the result is we are saved. (laughs) This is not about salvation. This race is not a salvation race. Uh, Jesus ran that race for us, and he won decisively on the cross. In fact, earlier in uh, Corinthians, Paul in chapter 3, I believe, says that, um, that we will all build on the foundation that Jesus Christ has established. Wood, hay, stubble, precious metals, precious stones... And, and we will go into a, a time where we will stand before Jesus Christ and it will be as if like, like a fire. And the, the, the things that we've built that have been made of precious metal and precious stones, they will remain. They will withstand the judgment fire. But the things that we've built that have been on, on just perishable things, wood, hay, stubble, things like that will burn up. But then Paul says, but they will be saved as though through fire. See, we'll be saved as though through fire. The question is, what are we going to have on the other side in our lives? What have we invested in in this life? What have we done in this life that has actually had eternal significance? What are we building into our lives so that what we do matters? I mean, money's important. I know that. We need it. It's part of this life. We have all kinds of obligations that we have in this life just to survive, Perfectly fine. I, I also am in that boat. The reality is, though, is that we have a lot of time and a lot of opportunities to do far greater things in life than just earn money and just um, do those kinds of economic activities. Or maybe we're involved and we just like watching sports and, and we, we invest huge amount of time uh, just watching sport. Now, I have no problem watching sport. As I mentioned, I kind of do that from time to time. But I don't want that to be the only thing I do in my life, is be a spectator on someone else doing something. (laughs) You know, they're doing something significant, and all I'm doing is sitting back and watching. Sometimes that's great. But at some area in life, I want to actually be the one down there on the track actually doing the running, metaphorically. You don't want to come and watch this whale run. But anyway, the point is, is that we need to start with the simple reality that this life matters. It's not about salvation. It's about becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's about we accept Jesus as our Savior. He saves us. The work that he did on the cross is final and complete and perfect 
and nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. But yet God wants to refine us so that we have hearts that are more like his, that we have eyes that are more like his, that when we look around the world, we look around the room, we don't just see what's in front of us. We see what God sees. We see his image in the, in the, in the faces of the people who are sitting around the room. We see the beauty that God sees trapped inside. I saw, I don't know if some of you saw this, but on Facebook this week, uh, uh, I saw this picture of this clump of hair and um, dirty old matted hair, like a big hairball. And uh, anyway, they said, you won't believe this. So I clicked on it because I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. So I, you know, I I had work to do and then I had, I could look at this interesting picture. So I clicked on it. And um, anyway, what it was, it was a dog. This dog had been outside, it just grown its fur, it was like just a great big giant fur ball. I wanted to get a picture of it, but I figured it would stress out uh, Todd coming in the, you know, on the 11th hour with, here's 13 pictures of, anyway. But anyway, as they took the clippers, this professional groomer, and started trimming off all this hair, I mean, this, from this gigantic, ugly, dirty, matted, crusty fur ball, Underneath, yeah, it really was an ooh. Uh, but underneath was this beautiful little dog, a little like Westie or something, and uh, big brown eyes. It's, and it, it's just like the thing was like this, and then when it ended up, it was like this. And I thought to myself, you know, that's you and me. Because we've got all this garbage on us. We get all this crust building up on us in this life, all this bad habits and bad attitudes and bad words and the fights we get in and all the stuff that just builds up and holds us in. But God just sees right through that. And He sees what's inside. And I want eyes that can see that. But it's not going to happen until I start living this life like it matters. It's not going to happen until I take life seriously. The second thing that I want to draw very quickly from this passage is that um, Paul says we need to basically pull ourselves together. And he uses this phrase, athletes exercise self-control in all things. Mm. bummer so I actually have to exercise self-control now remember he's writing this with a specific purpose he's writing it to an actual church that's struggling with real problems there was a divide in that church between rich and poor and the rich didn't want to so be having to hang out with the lower income people and, and they, the, some of the leaders in the church were, were going off to be in the temple where the temple prostitutes were and they thought that that was okay because they were saved and it didn't matter what they did in their body because it was just you know disposable in the end anyway or something. And so they had developed these bad habits and they figured, oh, it doesn't matter. And Paul's saying it does matter. We are athletes in the race for Christ. And we need to bring our urges under control. We need to exercise self-control in all things. 
It's interesting here when, I, when you read this in the original because the, the Greek text, as it talks about these athletes, the word is actually um, agonizomai, which is uh, we get our word agonize from it. And that's what the word is for athlete. It me- literally, it means someone who um, is involved in a contest or someone who is fighting or struggling against uh, some contestant or some opponent or something like that. And that's basically what an athlete um, means in the ancient world. Someone who was engaged in this struggle, in the fight, in the contest. And we get our words agonized from that. And Paul says these agonizers exercise self-control in all things. And it kind of paints a picture in our minds as to how serious we need to take ourselves, you know, and rein in those urges that say, oh, well, I could get up 15 minutes early and just talk to God for a little bit and get my head straight with God before the day starts, but oh, I do want to sleep. I want to flip my pillow over instead and feel that cool pillow against my face, you know, or, or whatever. The point is, is that there are a ton of reasons why we won't do what we need to do, but athletes exercise self-control in all things, and we need to build those disciplines into our lives if we're actually going to get to where we want to go. We need to have a vision of where we want to be, and we need to um, incorporate disciplines so that we can actually get there. And those disciplines will be different for each of us. They will be, um, they will be custom built into our, each of our lives. You know, if, if I spend too much time uh, watching TV because it's just veg and I can, don't have to do anything, and because of that I don't get enough, I don't get out and walk enough, then I need to maybe pull the plug and uh, get out and, and just walk. Maybe listen to music, you know. Uh, if I need to get up a little bit earlier to get my head on straight in the morning, but I'm finding that a struggle, then really the discipline comes the night before and going to bed a couple, half hour early so that I can actually get the proper amount of sleep so I can get out. All of these things are correctable. We just don't want to do them, you see. And, and the thing is, is that an athlete, Paul says, exercises self-control in all things. And what kind of self-control is that? Well, it's agonizomai. It's... It's agonizing, and it is. There, I think there's nothing harder than breaking bad habits. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think it's, it's tough. And it doesn't matter whether the bad habit is incredibly serious and destructive, or whether it's just a sort of a banal bad habit that's just holding you back. The point is, is that it's gonna be tough to break that habit. But if we wanna be all we can be for Jesus Christ, we need to pull ourselves together. We need to take an honest look at what needs to change and we need to start doing some things to change it. Third, we need to keep our eye on the prize. We need to understand what the prize is and as I said before, it's not about salvation. This is about being able to present ourselves before Jesus Christ on that day when he will, he, when it's, Paul says, we will make an account for our lives. We will give an account for our lives. We're saved. It's not about being saved. But we got to stand before Jesus and say, this is what I did with my life. We got to keep our eye on the prize. We got to discipline ourselves and we got to live this life like it matters because one day we're going to have to stand before Jesus and say, you gave me all this, Jesus. You gave me all these opportunities. You put me in the most beautiful 
time and place that there is, and what did I do with it? Did I talk to my neighbor? Did I make friends where I could have? Did I love or did I hate? Did I despise or did I forgive? What did you do with your life? Jesus will call us to account. It's not about losing our salvation. It's not about, you know, being sent off into some kind of purgatory. But it's about, as a child of God, standing before your heavenly Father, the one who you owe everything to, and can you please them in that moment, or will you be a disappointment? Not in your deepest being, but just with what you did with what you had. God's given us all treasures, gifts, abilities to do things and touch people that perhaps no one else around you can. But you can because God put you in the right place. He's given you the right personality and the right ability to do that. What are you doing with it? We need to keep our eye on the prize. Just to use that metaphor um, of precious metal and stones that Paul uses in chapter 3, you know, the Bible says in Revelation, we're going to all gather around the throne of the Lamb and, and we're going to cast our, our crowns down before him, right? And I don't know what rewards are in heaven because, I mean, you're in heaven, <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know what rewards could actually be. Hi, my sins are forgiven. I'm living forever. I'm on a beautiful place where, you know, we're all family and I get a reward. I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know what that is. But I think partly it is something that we can give back to Christ. I think, in my mind at least, as I try to figure that out, I think this is something that I'm going to have that I can give back to my Lord. And I don't want to be empty-handed. We're going to be standing around millions upon millions of people singing praise to the Lamb on the throne who was slain but now lives forever, and I want to have something in my hands to cast before his throne. And now is the time to build those treasures up as we invest our lives in things that have eternal value. And then finally, we need to hear the, the ultimate danger that is associated with this. Paul himself says, I myself should not be, you know, he, he doesn't want to run this race and then himself be disqualified. And what's interesting is, is that in the next chapter, because that ends chapter 9, and of course, when these letters were written, they weren't in chapters. I don't know if you wrote a letter to anyone recently, but probably you didn't mark it with verse numbers and chapters, right? And if you did, your letter's too long for modern <laughs> consumption. Phone, pick up the phone, okay, uh, or something. But no, I mean, these chapters and, and, let, and numbers were... Uh, were placed in there afterwards so that we could find the location of a text. And they were added quite late. Originally, when these letters would have been reread over and over again to the churches, it was just a single reading. You'd read the whole thing from beginning to end. You'd read the letter of Paul to your church. And so this chapter 10, although we can stop at chapter 9 and say, there, I read a chapter. Uh, actually, chapter 10 is connected to chapter 9 in terms of what Paul's trying to say. And there he turns his eyes back on the Old Testament where the people who were um, in, in the wilderness with Moses. And you see the Corinthians, they had been uh, talking about how they were God's people, they were saved. 
they were baptized, they were taking communion, they were partaking in the, the body and the blood of Christ in this memorial um, meal, the agape meal. And, um, and, and they were very pleased with what God was doing in their church. But this is what Paul says in chapter 10, right on the heels of this. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses and the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 7 of chapter 10, do not become idolaters as some of them did. That's what Paul's ultimately landing on in this whole argument about run, you know, Treat it like it matters. Build some disciplines into your life. Keep your eye on the prize because ultimately what he's saying is there's been others that were really happy with God was doing their life. They were saved. God delivered them. They, God gave them food to eat. God gave them drink. God shined his light upon them. And then they got distracted and complaining and grumbling, decided to go their own way. And in the end, they didn't make it to the promised land. They died in the wilderness because they couldn't keep their eye on the prize. And that's Paul's warning to us that we would not become idolaters as some of them did. Now, we may not build golden calves. We probably couldn't afford the gold for some of us anyway. You know, we'd be taking that to the bank, cashing that in maybe, or keeping it for investment reasons. But anyway, <laughs> idols are not about statues Necessarily, They are things which take the place of God in our lives and bring us a, com a comfort that only God should give us. Because you see, they didn't build that stone golden calf in the wilderness because it was pretty or because they disliked gold calves or I don't know, whatever reason you can imagine, right? They didn't do it. There was something about having a tangible presence with them that represented their God that gave them comfort. And there are things in our lives that give us comfort and draw us in to the point where we can actually lose sight of Jesus Christ and lose sight of the significance of this life. And we can end up using up the life we have, engaging in activities and in doing things, which they themselves may be good and fine, but they're taking the place of God in our lives. And Paul is warning the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago of a danger that 2,000 years before they were there, the Israelites fell into that trap, and 2,000 years after, you and I have the danger of falling into, of allowing God to be crowded out into, in our lives and other things creeping in, taking his place. God is pleading with his church that we would not lose our first love. 
And whether that means the love we had in the beginning when we first discovered Jesus and first experienced the joys of his salvation, or whether that means that priority place of Jesus in our lives, I think both are true. And it comes down to us being careful every moment, every day, that we're not letting things in that are crowding God out. And we live in a society with so many things, so many wonderful things, but they, they can crowd God out. And we need to be on guard about that. Lest all the talk we do and all the beliefs we say we hold to get crowded down to a minimal part in our lives and then the maximum part of our lives are spent doing something which isn't going to cross the bridge of eternity. All of this is manageable for us, or Paul wouldn't have preached it to the Corinthians. All of this is stuff we can change. All of this is something we can take hold of in our own lives and actually implement. And I know Carolyn spoke about this, the idea of the spiritual life and deepening our spiritual life, and I mean over and over again, we kind of bang this drum because it's so important, so important. In fact, the first step of believing in Jesus and dealing with the issue of our salvation, and then after that, one by one, knocking those addictions and sinful habits out of our lives, that's, that's the race we're on. Jesus takes care of the biggest thing, but then he's given us these little things that we need. They're big to us, but, but in the grand scope of eternity, they're little things, and he's given them to us within our power to make a difference, and he's given us the power of his Holy Spirit where we can actually make a difference and conquer these things. I think of the phrase from the um, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the idea of just one, one day at a time, you know, just focus on what's there. But you know what? I think about that and I realize that it's not, it is one day at a time in terms of dealing with the problems, dealing with the stress, dealing with the addiction. But there is a goal in mind which is lifelong and that's to stay sober. <laughs> there is a goal that's way out there, long term. And it may just be one day at a time. I just got to get through today. But the idea of having that, I, that philosophy is because you want to be able to get that five-year chip or you want to be able to say to your family and loved ones, I didn't go back to my old ways. You want to make a difference. And we as followers of Jesus, we need to take it one day at a time and look at our lives and we need to weed out the things that are distractions and the things which aren't going to cross that bridge of eternity. And we need to say no to that and live as these spiritual athletes and embrace the agonizing reality that changing our lives to be more like Jesus is going to actually hurt a little bit because it's not natural. Natural is, I'll do what I want, when I want, to who I want, thank you very much. That's natural, and that sends us to hell. Jesus came to reclaim us from that so that we could share his love, his grace. And what Paul is saying here is let that deepen in your life. Let it radically change you so that you become an athlete for Jesus Christ. 
that when people look at you, they may not, they may look at me and say, hey, that's no athlete, but I hope, I hope that in spiritual things, that the love in my life and my desire every day to change and make a difference and progress has that tenacity of an athlete and that willingness to throw aside things that are getting in the way and that willingness to say, no pain, no gain. I'll do five more reps of service. (laughs) But we do need to do something. We need to live life like it matters. We need to get ourselves together, keep our eye on the prize, and avoid the ultimate danger of crowding out God in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you have given to us. And Lord, we know that uh, we know that as we put our faith in you, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we know that the area of our salvation, that's a solid, that's a yes, that all your promises are yes to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we see your word, we understand that, and we thank you for this gift of salvation that you give us through faith. But Lord, we know that you want us to You want us to show you that we love you. You want us to engage in this life like an athlete. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come even in this place, in this moment, and that you would touch our lives, and that, God, you would bring to mind that one area where we just need to really, we just need to do some serious work there. And, God, I pray that you would help us Help each other to be all that we can be to the glory of your name and the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain and now lives forever. God, we pray that as we look forward to that day where we stand around your throne, you would help us to live every moment and make it matter. In Christ's name, amen.